Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Emma Louise, welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm so, so happy that you're here today and we have met in the middle because essentially you are so far away on the miles slash kilometers side of things. And it's just so awesome that we get to sit down and have really amazing chats about our experience, even though we live in like completely opposite sides of the world. So thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you. And like our little existential conversation before you hit record, <laughs> like the sun is setting on me and it's mm-hmm. it's just risen on you. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. We See, we're all just like actually secretly poets, I always think. So <laughs> everything always has like a slightly deeper meaning than we think it's going to be. But anyway, before we get to diving into all of that stuff, which I'm sure we will, why don't you take a second and introduce yourself to everyone so they're not just like, oh, my gosh, what a cute accent that we're all listening to but they can understand where you're coming from and all of that good stuff so i am coming from england in case there was any you know, you know miscommunication about that um but i'm emma louise parks i'm a business strategist and coach and i work with introvert owned businesses mainly in the online space and uh, to help them to grow and scale in a way that really honors their introverted traits and energy I love that. And how how I know this, but how did you get into this? Tell us a little bit about your background. And I know this is going to be a little long winded, but given our conversation today, like lay it all on us. Give us your like kind of longish version of your journey of starting your business and how you got here today. Absolutely. So longish version is that I spent 23 years working in aviation before launching my business. I first was a flight attendant for six years and then I was an air traffic controller in London. So that was that was my, I'm going to say, main career. I spent 17 years as a controller and I worked the airspace just above London with, you know, most complex, busiest airspace in the world up there with New York. And that was my job and I loved it. And I was also an instructor and mentor to newly qualified trainees so they would go through like the training we had a training school where you learned the basics on the simulator and then they would come out to our unit to be trained to become you know real air traffic controllers and I was part of the team that did that I absolutely loved it I found it fascinating that you know someone would sit down on day one and they were like so nervous and you know they were like oh my god these are real airplanes and I'm talking to like actual pilots and the responsibility and this is so scary to kind of nine months to a year later they would be qualified and you know making all the decisions on their own and I really loved watching people progress through that I really loved to see how people gain their confidence but I really noticed the mindset of people had a massive impact on whether or not they qualified. There's a really high attrition rate. I think it was about 60%. So theoretically, everyone coming in had the same skill set. Everyone had passed all of the exams, so everyone should pass. And it just didn't happen. And sometimes we would go like a number of years without anyone qualifying. And I would notice over and over again that confidence, mindset, language was such a big part of it, even to the point of 
if people said when I qualify or if I qualify, like the people that were the ifs quite often didn't. And it's just so interesting. Um, so that really fascinated me and took me down a whole rabbit hole of linguistics, NLP, psychology, um, coaching, you know, good mentoring skills, all of this stuff, which led me in a very roundabout way to take some certifications and then decide that maybe I could bring this online as a business. And that is what I started to do in 2019. So I bought my NLP and kind of life and mindset coaching skills. And then the work really started because while I felt really comfortable with that, I then had to learn how to build a business. I had to learn how to sell and how to market and all of that good stuff, which I kind of bounced around for the first two years, really struggling with it because I realized I've been an introvert. So some of the things that felt really easy to other people felt super hard to me. And, you know, we talked a bit about depth earlier. Like I need to go deep. I need to understand things and I'm not very surface level. So if a coach was saying, hey, just go and do this. I was like, but why? Why should I? Why do I do this? I needed to understand it on a on a much deeper level. And I need to find a way of doing it that didn't exhaust me because it really did at that point. So long story into the condensed short story is I loved coaching. I loved personal development. I wanted to work closely with people. I wanted the freedom to work online and all of that kind of crashed together and became this business now. <laughs> and I have the lucky benefit of knowing a little bit more, I guess, because we've gotten to meet in person, which is so crazy because I have so many clients and online friends that are in the US that I haven't met. But knowing just, you know, getting that feeling of and I would encourage people to find ways to to meet the people that you interact with online in person, if you can, like online, the depth of relationships that we can have is so it's so profound, I think. But when you meet in person, it's just kind of like it's a different type of soul filling, I think. And it connects you in a different way. Like, I feel like there's a little bit less pressure. Like, it feels like here we are just like interacting in the world. And like, I was in like a totally different space and I got to meet you. And so then it was so surprising to me because I was like, well, I'll be in London. Like, we should meet. And then knowing like you've you your brand is that you're an introvert and you were like, absolutely. Like, let's do it. So I was just like, I was so pleasantly surprised, but also a little bit like there's so much more to this that I I don't understand. So I was meeting the introvert versus extrovert situation. And can you talk a little bit about that? Just because I think it sets such a solid foundation for understanding our conversation to know what you mean by introvert versus extrovert versus like having that discovery and like how it's impacted your business and just kind of the basics there. Totally. So there are two things that I always use as kind of a measurement as to whether someone is more introverted or extroverted. And, you know, no one is 100% one or the other. There's always a sliding scale and it can change during our lifetime. It can change depending on what situation we're in. But before I come back to those, what I will say is I was totally up for meeting you because it was one on one. So mm. if you'd have said like, hey, me and eight friends are like coming to London, I'd have been like, yeah, OK, have fun. But thanks. But <laughs> thanks. But no, thanks. But mm. you were like, oh, like we can meet. And, you know, we kind of spent the day together and, mm -hmm. and had a very good lunch. Oh, my fact, gosh. So really good. Great lunch. Mm -hmm. um, 
And being able to just chat one-on-one, like that is actually, as an introvert, that's what fills me up. I love to connect really deeply with people Mm -hmm. and have a deep conversation and spend time. And I agree with you, like that to me is really nourishing. I didn't walk away from that day going, oh, like I'm exhausted from people. But if it had been a group, I probably would have been. So so I will just say that. So really the two ways that introversion is technically defined that a lot of people get wrong um, they quite often think it's about being shy or about you know being anxious or socially awkward. And of course, you know, introverts can be all of those things, but so can extroverts. But really, it's down to how we recharge and how we process information. So introverts recharge by spending time alone. That's how they get their energy. So simple as that. If you're an introvert, if you feel exhausted, overwhelmed, you will want to be alone. You will be like, don't talk to anyone shut yourself away maybe you know like it's the stereotypical you know take a bath and read a book and you know that's my friday night type thing extroverts will recharge by being around people because they draw their energy from other people so i always say it's a really good measure to say like if it was the end of a work week and you were really really tired and you wanted to relax what would you do would you go home and like kick off the shoes and be like ha like silence Or would you be like, I'm off to the bar because that's where I'm going to feel like really great after a night out. So that's the first way. And the second is the the way we process information. And majority of introverts process information internally. And what that means is we take it in and we kind of sift through it and we, you know, run it through our mental model and do whatever we need to do. And then we offer it out into the world. Extroverts quite often talk it talk it out. They'll be verbal processors or they will think out loud. And that's something that introverts don't always feel as comfortable with. So they're much more likely to you know, go through all the workings in their mind. And then they want to present an idea or an argument when it's a little bit more polished. Um, whereas extroverts will be like, oh, let me think. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. So this is the whole, you know, corporate thing of introverts don't speak up in meetings. And it's not actually to do with not wanting to speak up. A lot of the time it's just that they are processing their ideas before they verbalize them. But extroverts quite often just get in there first and, and share theirs. So it's again like neither of these are good or bad they're just very different ways of operating in the world and when you can recognize that within yourself and within your team I think it helps tremendously yeah I mean I'm thinking of so many I'm like literally trying not to write down a million questions because I will just overwhelm you but I wanted to like kind of dive into that (laughs) I'm just like I love talking about this with you because it's so nuanced and you really the way that you explain things, it's not like this is black and white and this is the way you are and the way you're not. And this is how you know and how you don't know. And like, you know, it's like there it leaves a lot of space for nuance, which helps us to not feel like we're constantly having to be put into a box, which I think lends itself to our work and what we choose to do and how we've made decisions in the past and where you went with your career. Can you talk about how? If you have some experiences when you were working in a really high pressure, high stress environment and how you may have not realized that you were an introvert back then and how it could have benefited you or like a couple of examples of looking back on your career in the public sphere, like what that how that manifested, how that identity manifested. Totally. So it was, yeah, obviously a very high pressure, stressful job at times and I never, 
I say never felt stressed from it, but you know, for ninety nine percent of it, I enjoyed it, and mm-hmm. and it's what I what I, I love to do. But the environment itself for an introvert was a lot because it's the operations room that I worked in is very loud. There's like telephones ringing, the people are shouting over at each other. There's um, you know radar screens and a lot of lights and alarms going off, and you know it's it's very stimulating. So it's kind of a lot on on anyone's nervous system, but as an introvert particularly, um, and you're surrounded by people. And you know if the people around you are really busy and they're getting a bit stressed and their voice gets a bit louder, and then I'm like, oh, like I'm feeling all of that energy. And funnily, we moved locations about two years after I'd worked there. And we moved down to a, a purpose-built um, building, which didn't have the same amount of break rooms. So we had been in a building with a lot of rooms and they had like a quiet reading room and a this room and a this. And I would just go on my break and sit and like read my book and feel really like energized and then go back and do more work. And when we moved to the new location, I remember like walking around like a nomad kind of going there's nowhere to go because everywhere was like big open corridors with meeting pods or had big tvs you know showing the news or something i'm like whoa i just want to go somewhere that's quiet and recharge and you i would walk around the pool you would see other people walking around kind of going there's nowhere to go and relax like and that was a huge thing and it didn't bother the extroverts because they went to like the coffee lounge or the TV lounge and they all sat together and chatted and, you know, got their energy back up that way. And us introverts were all like, we don't know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> so I think that's a really, you know, important lesson for for employers, obviously. But they did finally open a quiet reading room and then it was like always the same people in there. It was always like the same seven people or something off my watch. So it was really clear like, oh, we can see who the introverts are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you were, I mean, I remember when we first met and you told me about this, about your career path, you, I was like, wait, isn't that like literally the number one, like most stressful job in the world? And you were just casually like, yeah, I think I've heard that. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> and, and I was like, that is so crazy. Like, I never want to be like, I'm just so impressed by like what you've gone through and what you've done, because I know that there's often so much trauma lying underneath the surface. And I try to make a habit of not rewarding people or not rewarding people like they're a dog or something, but like it like kind of putting pressure on a certain element of yourself or your career or something like that, because our jobs are not always just the thing that deserves praise about us, you know, so but it is really interesting. And then to hear I I remember there was a really solid transition between you talking about like the day to day of the career and what lit you up about it, which was when you were training people and when you were showing up as a leader and uh, really just like identifying that as part of what you took from your experience in that job and what you really loved about it. It was really cool to hear. And then then you can see like, oh, well, that's how Emma Louise got here. Like she was already coaching people back then. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because it's such a beautiful story. The funny thing with that is that a lot of controllers think that they don't have any transferable skills. That's kind of a narrative that plays out within the job. And 
you know, it's kind of a you know, quote unquote job for life. And most people do stay. And if they do leave, they go to like move to another country to be a controller. So it's actually really, really rare for people to just leave in their 30s um, to the point that my manager, when I handed my notice in, he went, I don't know what to do with this. No, no one's ever handed their notice in. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it was just like okay like he'd had people come up for retirement but he didn't he was like had to go and like look at the employee handbook to see what to do with the resignation <laughs> i think he'd been in the company for like 16 years so even, no more than that so it was that was fun but mm. but yeah absolutely so you know i have this idea of not not having transferable skills and that this is all i could do and like that just started to sit wrong with me because I saw how amazing the people I was working with were. I saw the skills that they had. And I was like, this has to be kind of transferable, surely. So yet leaning into the coaching aspect of it was the natural progression because I just enjoyed to see people like grow (laughs) so Mm -hmm. much. And um, the funny thing is when I came into the online space and then I transitioned more towards business support for entrepreneurs, I saw a real disjoint between what I did, I I couldn't marry the two together. And I didn't understand how, I didn't understand why any potential client would care about what I'd done. I didn't think it was relevant. And I had a coach at the time and she was like, but you literally did strategic thinking day in, day out, like big picture strategy. And I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) so I did. But when we're in, in that cocoon of you have no transferable skills, I just looked at this as an isolated thing that I couldn't bring in. And then I saw coaching as being the like more emotional and more questioning and personal development. And as soon as I looked at it as a whole, I was like, oh, literally everything that I've done has like set me up to be here now doing this. Mm-hmm. I see. I'm sure you see that a lot in your clients, too. Like you can almost always, if you dig a little deeper, find a thread like the common thread in like somebody's path in their career. Um, That's I'm not a coach. And I always joke that like I have no coaching skills whatsoever. But it ends up being when you're talking about developing people's teams and stuff like that, like we do draw on a lot of that to help people figure out what they want their company culture to look like and stuff like that. Um, But I always joke like I am not a coach. I don't have any certifications real or fake. (laughs) Like I'm a consultant. I will tell you what to do. And it's always so interesting to me when we work with coaches or when I talk to coaches about their previous career paths, how introspective and how much more poignant our work experiences have been in developing who we are now in our businesses. Um, So I love to get like a little bit juicy about like our old bosses and our old co-workers and not to be like let's talk about our corporate trauma but like you know talking a little bit about that and do you have any experiences that you can share any of the like quote-unquote hot gossip from when you were in corporate and what you learned about leadership from bad examples or good examples of leaders I think what was really interesting is that all of our managers were former controllers or some of them still did both so there was a a kind of level of support where you know they would be maybe your line manager but they were still a colleague as well and still controlling and then some people gave up the controlling aspect and became like full-on managers Um, and the same thing happened within the training school you would have 
controllers that had, you know, were maybe close to retirement and they hadn't actually controlled like live traffic for a number of years. So they just instructed on the simulator. But you'd have others who were still active controllers and they would come in for a few days a week and do that. And really having that crossover was so good because it was like those people still understood. So the people maybe in the training school, you know, they still were active, still you know, going to work, still knew what it was like, you know, were very much current. And the same thing with the managers. Like, it wasn't someone that was solely in a managerial role. It was someone that was actually still on the ground and still doing the job and still understood if you were complaining about something or if something needed attention, you know, they were probably going through the same thing as well. So in that kind of hybrid model, while it probably wouldn't work in every workplace, worked really, really well for us. And they also couldn't bring managers in that hadn't been controllers. It's just that kind of job that you you couldn't take someone on their merit at, I don't know, a rail, a, a working a railway or something and bring them in if they didn't have that concept of how the whole operation runs and how controllers think. So um, that for me was a really great experience because it was literally people were like been there, done it or I'm actually still doing it. Yeah, that's and that's really hard to find, I think, in most work environments. It's really hard to work hand in hand with a peer that's also your manager. Did you have good a generally good experience with managers in that setting or did you ever have any bad experiences with managers? <laughs> No, it it was always really good. The one the thing that stands out as you're saying it that I remember is when I was a trainee, so I was like I was quite young I was like early 20s um I think the first my first watch that I joined I think there were 85 people on the watch and something like four were female so it was yeah it's it's a much better ratio now but there's a big disparity at that time and as you you know get further into your training and your mentors leaving you to do more and make more decisions then you have to challenge people. So you'd have to, I would have to lean over to the guy next to me who had like 30 odd years of experience and was also a manager and say like, oh, like you've made a mistake or you need to do this or can you do this? And I think that aspect of it could be a little bit intimidating at the start, but you know, that comes with experience and that comes with age and it comes with getting to know people. But actually that's just something that you had to do. It's the culture that if, it doesn't matter who it is. You, you can't be intimidated. You've got to be able to speak up in that safety-driven culture and, you know, make your make your case. So I think that having the managers working with us was maybe an extra layer of intimidation on that, um, but also great practice because you just had to get over it because that was going to happen forever. Yeah. And have you ever been in a situation where you were managing other people outside of just, I know you did a lot of leading and training them, but have you ever had any type of job where you were managing a team? I have. Um, when I was a flight attendant, I managed a team. So ah. this was going way back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, within within controlling, no, I, I didn't have any, I had no aspirations whatsoever <laughs> to, to do anything but but control and train like anything else. I was like, no thanks. But yeah, when I was um, flight attendant, I worked my way up to cabin manager um, completely kind of by accident. I went to a new airline and they just didn't have enough managers. 
and they they were like oh could you like fly in this role today and we'll you know pay you an extra or whatever and I was like yeah yeah that's fine and then it was like oh we actually don't have enough so can do you just want to fly in this like managerial role every day and we'll give you a pay rise and I was like yeah okay so that was my the last airline that I was with um so yeah and that I was like 20 yeah I was 23 so it was pretty young to be managing a team and again in a safety controlled environment yeah I've heard that as like flight attendants and air crews and stuff have one of the harder jobs in general just because you're constantly having to navigate between a customer service type of position and also like your coworkers and also like crazy schedules and crazy hours and stuff like that. Um, was there ever any friction between you and other flight attendants or have you did you ever have to stick up for people on your team? I know that's one of the things that comes up a lot in these like kind of high pressure environments is that you sometimes have to like put yourself out there a little bit when you're working with different types of personalities? Oh, absolutely. The biggest thing with um, an airline, and this has improved so much over like the last 20 years and more since even since I left, um, is that the pilots and the controllers are on the same team, but they've got very different workloads. So if you think about the crew get on to a flight before the passengers board, and everyone's really busy. The flight deck are, you know, planning in the route and refueling and all of that. And the cabin crew are loading up the catering and, and cleaning and all of that stuff. And then as soon as the passengers are on board, the workloads are at complete opposite ends. So if you think about the aircraft taxiing out to take off, the flight attendants are sat down, strapped in their seat, not doing anything. Whereas it's the highest workload for the pilots because they're literally manually about to take off. And then as soon as they get up to cruise level, they switch the seatbelt signs off to release the crew and they switch the autopilot on and then they kick back and mm -hmm. read the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So then they're like, you know, oh, could we have a drink or, oh, it's there any chance of our meal? And and of course, the cabin crew are like, go, 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 trying to get this service out to the to the passengers so mm -hmm. quite often you would have conversations like they, they would ask for something you'd be like yes i'll pop it in in a you know in a minute and then they would ding again and go oh have you forgotten and it's like no we haven't forgotten but we've got 235 like paying people here that we need to make sure get their meals and drinks before it's time to to land so mm -hmm. that was that was always an interesting dynamic and again with the newer crew members very similar to our traffic control the you know, standing up to someone just because they've got the title captain or because, you know, they're wearing their wings and, you know, flight deck uniform and not being intimidated to sometimes say, you know, the priority is this right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that feeling. Like, I always joke that I'm a, I'm a, do you know what your Enneagram is? Eight. Eight. Okay, this is perfect. So I'm a seven, but I'm a seven wing <laughs> six. And I always feel like I wish I could be an eight, especially as a manager. I've managed people for so long that it feels like ripping out my heart when I have to have like a like instigate a like a conflict situation like or talk to somebody when it's like really difficult. And then it's like, why did I get into HR? You know, but it's it's really funny because it's like <laughs> I'm constantly finding myself in these situations where I'm like, you ha like I have to like drag myself out of my natural instinct in order to like kind of put yourself into a place to like have conflict, which feels really bad to me as a seven. But 
as an eight, I feel like that's such an interesting combination with being an introvert and being so in tune with that. Have you thought a lot about that as a leader? Because it feels like there's like, I mean, of course, there's tons of things that cross over, but that's so in- that's such an interesting combo. I I didn't know anything about the Enneagram until a few years ago, mm-hmm. but I was always willing to have a direct conversation mm-hmm. with people like and it didn't mean it was easy and I certainly didn't enjoy it I think there's I think the eight gets a little bit marginalized sometimes because I see like eight memes and I'm like we're not that bad <laughs> but it's almost like we in, we enjoy the conflict <laughs> we status and, and I don't think it's necessarily that maybe some do I don't know um but in in the empowered version of the eight it's like we're able to do it and we're able to get our point across really directly and and succinctly but it still never felt it still never felt great but i think luckily i've got enough empathy and and you know personal skills that it never escalated into a huge conflict but Mm -hmm. i think so much of that is knowing that what you are saying is correct and that's it and it's keeping like opinions out of it but if it's if it's facts if you're having a discussion with someone on the team because something hasn't been done and it's factually their role to do it it's not you know descending into well this means you're rubbish or this means that but to me if I'm stating a fact I I feel good about it I don't feel like I'm putting anyone down or I'm causing any conflict but if it's an opinion that I have about someone's performance that's maybe a different matter and needs to be tackled in a different way but like Mm -hmm. hey you need to do this like I'm fine with that the eight in me is fine with that yeah oh I just I know I've created so many like frameworks and figure I've like have my process now down for when I need to have those tough conversations and I have a friend and her company is called game day HR and I'm like that's how I feel on those days when we have to show up in this like very (laughs) specific leadership type like it's like you get dressed it's like you can like see your real like or your TikTok creating behind you like you get dressed and you put on your makeup and like today I'm having this conversation like I feel like I have to like amp myself up about it and like the seven spectrum even if it is all facts like I'm like ah! you know it's just like this weird it's this weird thing and I think part of it is that as leaders we have to know who we are to like give us some space to show up in like the hard situations that don't come easy to us it doesn't mean we don't do them but like if we understand who we are then I feel like it's easier for me to kind of forgive myself if something is harder for me as a seven versus an eight or as understanding that I am an introvert even though I am very outgoing like those have all been really huge game changers for me as a leader and to not feel guilty if I have to go home or miss the company happy hour or whatever just because it's been too much you know like those are all things that over my like experience as a leader, I was like, well, obviously I'm an extrovert, like let's go, like let's be social, blah, blah, blah. And it created an expectation that I had for myself that I couldn't sustain. And it caused me to end up in a really bad burnout situation. Um, Now I know that you help so many business owners work through a lot of a lot of things that end up making them exceptional leaders and help them grow your grow their business. Can you talk a little bit about what those conversations look like for your, especially, well, most of your clients are introverts, I would assume. So given that they're introverts. Probably about 80%. Probably about 80%. Some yeah. people sneak through and I'm like, I think you're actually an extrovert. And they, groups <laughs> and they, they come up with an E or or they're like close, close to the middle. Um, but, you know, even then, there's so much value in these things because mm-hmm. just because I'm talking about them for introverts, they're still relevant to 
anyone that's human, yeah. basically. So, you know, one of the biggest things that comes up is things like scope of delivery and boundaries. So mm. that has been, I would say, something that comes up with almost every client. So whether that is on client work or whether it is with their expectations of their team, I think having that clear communication from the start and of course my people are incredibly kind and they want to do a great job and they want to over deliver and all of those things and that can definitely leak into the boundaries which can cause you know oh well I just did a few extra hours for my client this month and then of course the expectation grows with that and all of a sudden like you say you can be on the edge of a burnout situation because the scope creep has just gotten so so bad um and you know there i think there is a lot of guilt for people around that there's a lot of guilt around saying you know oh hey like that's above and beyond my job description i a lot of people find that very very hard because i would imagine in the us as well but certainly in the uk there's an expectation that if you want to get ahead and you want to you know do well and you've got to like suck it up and do the work and take the things and you know be indispensable and when people bring that into their own businesses, that's when I think it can be it can be really damaging. So I think it's a good opportunity to kind of reset all of that when you come into your own business because you're not having to prove yourself to anyone. Like you're you're the boss. You get to cho- like I get to choose when I get salary increase. It's great. <laughs> no one no one else chooses that for me. Mm-hmm. But but having that kind of look outlook of like I have to decide and I have to make the container and I have to stick to the scope and I have to decide what I'm available for and what I'm not is actually very very new to a lot of people yeah and I'm sure that when you're working with your clients because you do a lot of one-on-one coaching right yeah yeah and when you're working through those conversations and how they're having to figure out all these boundaries and things like that how much of it is you helping them like can you see like who someone is and how they can solve the problem before they see it often and how does that work in the coaching relationship i would say a lot of the times yes and where possible i try not to share that information with them but try to coach them to come to that conclusion themselves Mm -hmm. because otherwise Well, I think there's a couple of things with that. Firstly, look at my background in training controllers. I couldn't just keep telling people what to do or go, oh, you've done this. And if you do this, it will be easier because they needed to cultivate those critical thinking skills to be able to work on their own. Otherwise, they would need someone sat there forever. So that type of that type of coaching and mentoring, I think, has served me really well. Mm-hmm. in an actual you know coaching relationship now the last thing that I want is to create a codependence so it's it would be really easy for me to point everything out to every client and go oh they go or do this or, or do that and sometimes that is valid but where I can guide the conversation to see if they get to the point that I can see that to me is more empowering because when people recognize it themselves with their own self-awareness that is when they're much more likely to take action on it. You know, if I just say to you, oh, Kira, you, you're doing this, your ego is probably going to be like, no, I'm not. And, <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's how we react. You'll be like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And then maybe like a few months down the line, you'll be like, oh, okay, I, I was doing that. But if we can have a discussion and I can ask you questions to the point that you go, oh, well, maybe it's this and come to that realization yourself, I think you're much more likely to act on it. Yeah. And I mean... 
that's what you learn. Like, that's what people should expect from their coaches, right? Like, not just being told what 100%. to do. Yeah. And I think if you don't, if you're comfortable, like, I'd love to talk a little bit about that because we don't hear about a lot of really great coaches in our space. Like, we don't, there are a lot, but there's not that. I feel like I've been hearing a lot more negative about coaches lately than positive. I and know. it's a bummer. And I just like, I think being exposed to, this industry so recently and not having any coaching experience and working with some of those few really amazing coaches. <laughs> um, they're one of the things that's really driving this podcast is to help people understand more about themselves as leaders, but also they people want more like they want somebody that's going to dive in with them. How can people find a coach that they can really trust? How can people know that it's a good fit for them like what is what are some of the things you've learned over the last few years that can help you pick that out because I think the industry needs to stay strong but I'm worried that it's gonna go under because there's so much negative out there and it's just like the whole Yelp thing you know like if you one person 500 people could be happy but one person can be like super mad like what are some of the things that we can look for to be like conscious consumers especially when it comes to really needing this very important and very impactful support from a coach I think the first thing is to get clear on is it a coach that you are looking for because a lot of the time the word coach consultant and mentor are used quite interchangeably so you know, if someone is a mentor, then they are going to be sharing their experience with you. If you want to build exactly the same business as that person and you want to hear, you know, what they did on the way, then that's the kind of relationship you should look for. Consulting, as we touched on earlier, is someone bringing an expertise to go, here is the solution to your problem. And from a business strategy point of view, I definitely am a consultant the same way that you are a consultant someone could come to me and they're like I want to launch this you know group program and I've got no idea where to start and I can give them the strategy that to me is consulting but the coaching aspect is very different and I think a lot of mentors and consultants use the words and the coaching is holding space and providing the questions that make someone inquire within themselves to find the answers that push them push them forwards to grow so it's a it's a very different skill set and I guess the first thing I would say is look do people have a qualification have they got a certification in coaching it's not always the most important thing some people are just naturally very gifted at being able to coach in that way but look back at their client results look back you know if you're finding them on Instagram look back on their highlights like how long have they been around have they been switching have they gone from like this business to that business to suddenly becoming a coach have they worked with people like you they reach out to them like have you helped someone like me have you helped someone with x type of business um and any coach you know to me any coach that is holding high level support whether that's one-on-one or in a group container should be willing to get on a call and have a you know kind of vibe check with you at the very very least I would say if someone's like no you just have to sign up like there's no way to to connect with me first that would be a bit of a red flag because there's so much about trust if you are in a coaching relationship it can go very deep people can feel very vulnerable and it's often you know that getting vulnerable that leads to the results but you need to be with someone that you feel comfortable sharing with you feel comfortable can hold space for you and that is going to have your best interests at heart 
Yeah. And I feel like that's what's kind of missing is that, at least for me, I've had one really amazing coach that changed so much for me in regards to my business and running my business and things like that. And I haven't had any other coaching because of my own you know, personal experiences and bringing in biases and stuff like that. But when I was primarily in corporate, I did have an executive coach. And that experience was what I hope to one day kind of emulate for some of our business owners that we're seeing grow right under our like guidance and things like that for building their team and the strategic part of things. There's just Mm. such like an interesting overlap, I guess, in this business, in the business coaching space and in the mindset and life coaching space. And for somebody that doesn't consider themselves very well-versed in that field. Um, what like what are some of those overlaps? Like t- tell me like I'm five, you know, basically like why would somebody choose a mindset coach over a business coach or why is there a difference, I guess? Like why are they not the same thing? You know what I mean? Like if you could dive into that a little bit, I'd love to hear your perspective just for my own benefit. <laughs> <laughs> so I would I would say and I have gone backwards and forwards so many times with what to actually call myself for this mm. for this very reason. So uh, quite often a business coach seem they seem to be sharing information about how they built their business. So it's like this I will teach you to do the same and you know the bad rep in the industry at the moment is this like coaching coaching coaches coaching coaches to become coaches type thing. So It's like, here's my 10-step program. And when you do this, you'll be able to be a coach. And it's actually nothing to do with the function of coaching. It's everything to do with marketing. So they're teaching them how to market and sell in a certain way. With a business strategist, which is the term I'm using at the moment, I've got tons of frameworks and different ways of building a business that work for different people. So none of my clients have the same strategy then if I have the same business I've got you know clients in all kinds of different sectors but we can take the different aspects and create that bespoke strategy for them that works for them works for their energy feels good for them that's the more strategy piece I think the mindset coaching piece is is a big thing in entrepreneurship because I think that nothing will push your growth and push your comfort zone as much as starting your own business like you know no kind of Climbing the ladder in corporate, I just don't think feels the same. All of the stuff that comes up when you start your own business, you know, you're going against everything that society's told you to do. You're no longer fitting in with the mold. You're no longer like being a good girl. You're no longer keeping your head down. You're doing like the complete opposite of that. You know, you're you're no longer like don't talk about money. It's rude. You know, you're literally like telling people to pay you money and you don't have that boundary of oh, it's a company paying me a salary. It can feel very like this person is paying me as a as a person. So there's a lot of mindset stuff there. And actually, you know, there are some marvelous mindset coaches to help entrepreneurs, but it's knowing that that's what you're getting the support with and don't expect them to be able to help you with the strategy necessarily as well. So there are some people that can do all of it. There are some people that are very specialist at different pieces and you can pick and choose what you need but from the mindset point of view it's going to be much more like changing your thoughts changing your behavior which you can have the best strategy in the world you know you could work with a strategist and they lay everything out for you that's great but if there's something underlying in your mindset and you're not taking action on it that's when I'd say 
you know, if you if you don't know what to do, go to a coach or a strategist. But if you know what to do and you're not doing it, then go to a mindset coach. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> That's one of those things because I feel like there's just so many... We, as a consumer that isn't a coach and doesn't necessarily know what to look for, there's so much information out there that it almost can be paralyzing because you're hearing like in one scroll, like in one doom scrolling session, it's I'm getting feedback about positive interactions that people have had with their business coaches, amazing things that have gone on with their mindset coaches. Some people have, you know, you can get a coach for pretty much anything like a food coach and a workout coach and a, you know, whatever. Um, But in the same session, then there's an article that the that our like Federal Trade Commission published about business coaches that are scamming people or being some coaches ripping off their clients and, you know, stuff like that, like ripping off their ideas. And I yeah. it's so crazy because it's like you're constantly in a battle with yourself on like, do I need to do this on my own or is getting support going to help me? And then it's just like fine, I just won't like deal with that uncomfortable thing anymore. <laughs> like, I'll just like go on and try to figure it out some other way. But there are pe- there are so many people out there that are, I think for you, it's really great because you have essentially built an audience of introverts. And so I remember you posting something on Instagram the other day that was like, listen, I'm posting a question box, but like, I know you all are all, it- you all are introverts. So like, just please respond to this because like, I know it's going to take a lot of your guts, but like, just do it because I need this information or, you know, whatever. Um, How else have you seen that manifest in your business? Just like knowing who your audience is on such a deep level. Oh, well, when I very first niched into introverts, I I didn't know that was going to happen. So I was working with a coach who uh, suggested a strategy, which is very solid and works really well of offering a free call to people that like solves a very specific problem people get on the call you give them the call if they're open to hearing about working with you they can if not fine you get the experience of coaching you know you start to build your network all of that stuff and i you know i've got coach friends that have literally filled their coaching practices by by doing this so i was like great like i'm ready for it no one would book the calls (laughs) i was like no one's booking these calls because they're introverts and then people would book and then either not turn up or cancel at the last minute. And it got super frustrating. And after a, a like, few months of this, my coach was like, okay, like we need a different tactic because we started to recognize that it was because of their personality. And I was like, you know, would I book a free call with someone? I'm like, and I thought about what would come up for me. I'd be like, oh no, they're going to try and sell to me and I'm going to feel really awkward when I say no or you know, I don't want to waste someone's time if it's for like all of this stuff. So then I started to adopt that more into my content. And then we had a whole thing. If someone booked a call, like they got sent a video saying like, hey, I know it can feel really awkward to be on Zoom with someone, but you know, I really, you know, kind of invite you to show up and, you know, make the most of it and all of that. So that helped definitely. But then we realized that actually given um, an exchange was the best way so if there was something in exchange if they were doing something and they felt like they'd earned the free call everyone would take it so if it was like please fill out this market research and in return you'll get a free call or if you leave me a podcast review you'll get a free call 
that, that was totally different. So I was like, okay. And it made so much sense because that's how I am. I think that it has to feel like a fair exchange and it feels more in integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of laugh about it now. And, you know, everyone gets really caught up on the algorithm and how many likes and comments. And I'm like, if I worried about that stuff, I would just, I just would close my business. If like, that's what I was judging the success on because people don't like and comment. And like, I'm okay with that now. It's fine. Mm -hmm. People are hiring me. That's the important thing. Yeah. It's so interesting because we see the back ends of a lot of businesses and most of them are fairly successful because they are looking for a team. So they're finding that their capacity is hit, you know, and and they're ready or they want to, you know, we never do any type of pressure or anything because I think it's such a personal thing to be able to hire an employee. It's like such a massive undertaking Mm -hmm. and it's so personal and you have to step into a totally different type of leadership and understanding of yourself. And so it's like, that's where it kind of gets a little because I'm like, yeah, we're definitely you'd need every business needs their HR done. And you're probably not going to find anyone like us to do it. But also like, really, you have to be ready. And it's not my place to get you ready. So it's like that pre step before. So understanding and learning that about our audience and the people that we're hopping on a call with has been really impactful. I can imagine how much better it must feel to be able to like confidently step into your own marketing and into your own the way that you get clients and the way that you put yourself out there, like knowing who you're talking to. Um, That's something with when we're seeing the back end of businesses, we see there is no correlation between how many followers somebody has or how many likes they have and what their recurring revenue is. Like there is no correlation. Like I cannot say that enough. I have some one of my clients that I would say was the most prepared to hire and has one of the higher recurring revenues over the longest period of time. I've never seen her do an Instagram story with her face. Like it's like it doesn't matter like those things don't matter especially if you know who you're talking to um so when you're working with your clients and they you've approached them in and kind of figured out like how you're going to be able to make the most impact and i'm kind of cheating on this because i know one of your clients fairly well kendall love her she's amazing she's a genius and she's had a lot of evolution in her business i wanted to kind of give you a platform to talk about that evolution. And you touched on it a little bit earlier when you said you're, I think you said at the moment, I'm going with business strategists because that's what you're leaning into. And it doesn't, like, I think people think that if you're testing out new ways to market yourself, it doesn't mean that everything's changing on what you're doing for people. Um, But can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know how you're just because I know one of your clients, I know how impactful it can be to have that permission to pivot and adjust and adapt in changing times. Totally. And yeah, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed about how I work with my clients. Nothing's probably changed in the best part of three years. But am I a coach? Am I a mentor? Am I a consultant? Am I a strategist? All of all of that kind of thing. And really it came down to what's the best way, if someone just found me, just randomly found me on Instagram, what would best describe what I do? And something that we have seen is a lot of people using the term business coach and they're actually like a funnel builder or a web designer. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but people are going like, oh, I want a coach, fine. And then it's like people going like, I'm a business coach and I help people get 10K months. And then the person's like, oh, what I actually do is I set you up a Facebook group and that helps you get to 10K months. And like, there's that kind of fuzziness there. So 
I, like I said, I've just played with it. And I was like, really, it's consulting and coaching, but it's strategy because it, it is, an, that is an important part of it, right? I'm not just saying to people, you know, do you feel empowered to go and take action today? I'm, I'm definitely saying that, but I'm also saying, okay, but there might be a gap here in your marketing. So what can we do about that? And yeah, like, I'm glad you brought Kendall up because her business has gone through so many evolutions. Like she's someone that is not afraid to try something. She's not afraid to give it her all and then go, no, like not for me. That didn't, that didn't work out. And the beauty of that is her last like major pivot when she made a big decision to close her agency down. She didn't even, she didn't consult me. She just told me she'd done it because that's how much she's grown because of the coaching. Like she came to me not trusting her own decisions and literally not having the confidence in herself. And then, you know, 18 months later, she's like, hey, I've just done this. So our next call, we need to talk about X. And that to me is like perfect. I was tearful because I was oh. like, she's just made a huge decision and she doesn't feel that codependent. Like she she sees the coaching as, you know, she's like, she's here for life for sure. So she sees the coaching really supports her and it really helps her in her business, but she doesn't quote need it. And I think that's a really healthy way to be. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I've heard, I know we're like running out of time, but we are going to have a two-parter. So make sure that if you like this conversation, then definitely hop over to Emma Louise's podcast, The Ambitious Introvert, to hear our second part of our conversation. Um, but I did... Before we kind of go into what I'm calling our desperation minute, where everybody can find you and reach out to you and all of that good stuff, <laughs> I I wanted to sort of end this this part of the conversation on what you think when you're when you're talking to someone for the first time, when you're talking to somebody that's in need for the first time, where they're really need in need of some guidance, where they're where Kendall was when she first met you, they don't have the confidence, you know, stuff like that. Um, what are some things that people could do if they're afraid to have to face that? You know, it's not that fun to be like, damn, like I am that person. Like, I don't feel confident in my decisions. I want to have somebody that I can go to for ever. And that's all a great place to be too. That's what coaches are for. But what can you say to encourage people to like get out there and like, what are those first steps? And like, you know, use your like nice Emma Louise way of explaining things to like make people feel comfortable to seek out that support and not be intimidated by it. Well, the first thing I'd say is it doesn't make them wrong or weak or bad or or anything you know society is literally set up to make us believe that we need other things to help us make decisions you know that's the whole marketing and advertising you know the media social media all of this the only way that we you know can keep perpetuating a consumer capitalist society is by convincing people that they need something from outside of themselves so um you know without going too deep it's not particularly surprising that people are like i don't trust my decisions i trust what i've been told to do and quite often you know coming out of corporate and, th and things like that people haven't had that freedom to to make their own decisions so if you feel like that don't feel bad about it or even if you're in a position you know which some business owners are where they've tried a couple of iterations of their business and it's not working and they somehow now feel like they've failed or you know there's something wrong with them and they don't trust their decision making because they've decided their decision making is wrong like know that on the other side of that support if you get the right support not only are you going to have someone to help you through that transition period but you will also cultivate that 
critical thinking, cultivate that confidence. You know, any coach should be able to help you to grow that confidence so that you can make those decisions from, I'm going to say more empowered place, but also a less emotional place. Because if you're coming off the back of, you know, a few tough decisions, things didn't work out, obviously you're very emotionally reactive. It affects us in that way. It affects our confidence. But when you learn those skills as a CEO, I know it's a bit of an overused phrase, like the CEO mindset, but when you start to make decisions from that place of, is this good for the business? Like, does it matter if it doesn't work out? What's my plan B? All of those very kind of boring sounding neutral things and the ability to do that and make critical decisions in that very empowered and emotional way is you know, it's well worth going through that discomfort of reaching out to a coach to get to that stage because those skills are going to serve you forever in your business. Yeah, and your life. I mean, just some of those things I was just thinking, oh my gosh, like if you have the confidence to be able to make quick decisions in your leadership or your leadership of your team or your relationships, like we always say that the biggest 100%. the biggest enemy of your team culture is time because if you let things that need to be addressed, drag out for longer and longer and longer, then it can completely kill your culture, whether that be a person or an incident or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like it's a, you know, it's very easy to poison the well in your business. And then it's really hard to drag yourself out of a place like that and to, you know, get into a better mindset where you can make those choices from a high level viewpoint. So I think that's really awesome advice. Um, Okay, so my desperation minute, where can everyone find you? And you don't have to like, I'm going to link everything. So like, basically, just how can people get in touch with you? How can people get in your in your energy in your on your newsletters? You know, which way? What way do we want people to go to make sure that they can get in your orbit? Well, if they are listening to this podcast, I'm guessing that they quite like listening to a podcast. So that is probably the best place to start, the Ambitious Introvert Podcast. And hop on over, have a listen there. All of my links are in the show notes. So you can find the website through that. You can find the Facebook group. You can find my Instagram. And through any of those places, you can DM me and say hello, or you can find a place to sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter is where it all happens. So that is always the best place to try and try and get. Oh, Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Emma Louise. And I'm so excited to hop into your podcast for part two. So if you're listening to this, make sure that you get over there because I'm so excited to see the, where the rest of this conversation goes. I can't believe it's already been 57 minutes. That's wild. Um, okay. <laughs> I know. Let's hop over then. I'll, I'll see you on the other Zoom. All right. Great. Thanks so much, Emma Louise. See you in a sec. Thank you. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.